Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, and welcome to One's Too Many, a podcast dedicated to helping veterans and first responders get through the struggles they might be facing internally or externally. Hear interviews with special guests and experts. So whether you're struggling with transition, depression, or even problems at work, we're here for you to give you actionable advice and examples of how you can get through them and succeed by those who have struggled too. I'm your host, Adam Salters, and thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of One's Too Many. I'm real excited today. We have a friend of mine, uh, Jenna. Hey, thank you for coming on board. Thanks for having me, Adam. All right, can you, uh, can you tell our audience a little bit of what you do? Well, I deal, originally I started dealing with special forces as a transition out of the military about 13 years ago. Worked for a company that we deal with resumes and saw the problem with people that I knew within the special forces. And we decided to start a program to help benefit them for their transition. And so that was about 13 years ago. And the roads stretched long. And we've gotten in-depth more into not just resumes, but the whole transition life cycle in regards to PTSD and all the other problems that they may have regarding such. Just the problems with how they transition, how to get through it, the family aspect, and how to transition well onto the other side. Okay, I've actually never heard about the uh, the transition life cycle. Could you uh, go a little bit more in detail about that? Well, everybody's an individual, so it's a one-on-one situation. You know, in, in regards to how it kind of comes about is they'll usually call for help with advice on how to transition, how to get the resume out there, and questions such as that. But what ends up happening is most of them realize that they have more problems or more issues that may arise because what's driving them may be the concern of financial struggles with the family and what it, the pressures it's putting on the family. So the life cycle can be different for everybody involved, mm-hmm. but what ends up happening is that you just coach them through from point A to point Z. And then that way it helps them get from where they're trying to go to where they're going. Cause a lot of times they don't know what they want to do next. So the initial question usually is what do you want to do when you grow up and what are your goals? And we start with the goals that they want to achieve, whether it be a one year two-year, five-year, or ten-year, and we set those up, and then we make sure that they're accountable to the family as well, so they're communicating these things, so that way everybody's accountable, so that way it's not just the pressure on them, but everybody sees what they've got to do and what they've got to accomplish to get them to be successful in their next career. Mm -hmm. I personally never, when I first got out, I didn't really, I really have a direction, I didn't really have long-term goals. How do you get What's your first step when you actually start, when people start thinking about this, to try to get them to understand and realize what they want to do? I ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth. But the biggest question is, is everybody knows what they kind of want to do. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep asking those questions and communicate through them. What do you do for your hobbies? What have you done in the military? We want to make sure that your core competencies translate precisely to a next position. And a lot of times that's not always what they want to do. They don't want a nine to five job because they haven't done a nine to five job. But Mm. then getting them to understand it's not your forever position. This is going to be something that gets you to where you want to go. And that's what those goals are in place for. All right, look, this is your one year mark. This is your two year mark. Do you have an education? Get your education. Utilize what the government's already given you to make sure that you're getting yourself through those processes. A lot of times if they want to create a company, I still recommend them still going to work somewhere else because creating a company always takes at least two years to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know everyone's challenges are generally are real unique, like we were talking about earlier. But what are the couple of things that you see is kind of universal between the general population? Universal and meaning what? What do people going through like transition problems to begin with really struggle with the most that you've seen? 
they have no idea what they want to do next. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to go sit in a cubicle and work nine to five. They're so used to being out and running and gunning that it makes it very difficult. You're basically trying to put somebody in a box and they refuse to be put into a box. And Mm -hmm. so it's finding out what they can do outside of the military with their own personal skills and hobbies that can articulate in a way that'll help them move towards what their goals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you ever talk to people after they like, after a little bit farther along, say like when they're about a year, two years past when they're trying to work toward their goals? Yes. And a lot of times it'll happen at the two year mark. If they find a job early on, they take it. And what ends up happening is they start stretching themselves in a way where they're just focused on that job like they were their job in the military and they become a little unhappy. Mm -hmm. And what I usually tell them at that point is like, do you have any hobbies? Are you doing anything outside of work? It's trying to create that civilian lifestyle with the cookie cutter, you know, picket white picket fence mentality that they don't understand that will fulfill them, but they don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when they get to that point, they start kind of defecting, as I call it. And that's when we usually have another follow-up call if they choose to. And then I ask them, what are your hobbies? Is the job fulfilling enough? If we start getting some hobbies involved, what are you doing outside of that with the family? And so a lot of those things are where they're lost because they were so fulfilled with their family within the military and they are losing all those parts that the job doesn't fulfill in the same way. And they don't realize that they have to have a lot more moving parts. That's not just a job that fulfills those needs anymore. Mm-hmm. I know we've, uh, one of the big things I've found is that what you get out, you suddenly are devoid of this. A lot of people, their entire identity is focused around like the, what, what their purpose is at the time is serving whatever, whatever capacity, be it in the military, first responder community, whatever it is that I know once you get out suddenly for the first time in years and years, you had that kind of pulled out from under you. And mm-hmm. so we found, we found like that purpose is probably one of the hardest things to get back. Finding purpose is really important because like you said, they try to find their identity in their work and and none of our identities is defined by our titles for work of any sort. We still are an individual and there's still something else that's bigger than that. It's trying to find out how to utilize all the things that you were trained for, all the life lessons that you've learned with inside and outside to find your niche that will make you successful for another purpose because your only purpose in life is not to just be in the military, mm-hmm. you know, but you can take those skills and traits and, and maneuver them. But I think the problem comes in where there's, there's a lack of patience. And so it's like, I want this now. I want it to look just like this. Now I go after it. I get it. Now what do I do? Cause mm-hmm. they understand that mentality, but they don't understand that there's a journey that takes them there. You know, they didn't just get from boot camp to, you know, an E6 that took many years and you have to understand that, that it's, it's going to take you some time to get there. You cannot just transition within five minutes and the ones that do transition into a great position. Well, they didn't just start planning the day after they got out, they had been processing and understanding and developing those skills five to 10 years prior to ever leaving the military. So they were actually prepared so that way, when they got out, they knew exactly what was coming next. They're already solid in their foundation of like who they are as a person outside of the military and in their family and in that life cycle of hobbies that then when they get out, they are able to transition well. The ones that don't are the ones that, all right, I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to shoot it off at the hip and hope it sticks. And it never, it'll never <laughs> stick because shooting off at the hip, 
you're not planning properly. And there's probably somebody you could have spoken to that could have helped you advance quicker had you not shot off at the hip and said, all right, let me give you these ideas. This is what I want to do. What's your advice? Mm -hmm. I know. I was definitely that second uh, in that second group for sure. I immediately went to uh, JCO. No one really explained college to me. So I took a lot of bullshit classes. And so I feel like I kind of uh, stalled out for a couple of years. And so I yeah. understand. I understand what you mean by that. Yeah, well, especially if you go right into a college course, what happens is, is you get switched from being institutionalized from the military to institutionalized in a school, and they are two different breeds, but it's still institutionalization. So now you're extremely lost because you have no idea which what direction you're going anymore because you've got two different things telling you two different things, and you've yet to get back into the real world to help move, maneuver those things to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So would you suggest, I mean, obviously I feel like you'd probably suggest going to school. Or go, yes. Would you suggest actually like working when you're at it? I know a lot, of, a lot, a lot of my friends when they got out, they w went to school and just kind of got their GI Bill and then just kind of, like, I guess, I don't know, coasted for a while. Right. A, a lot of guys will do that. They'll they'll mm -hmm. utilize the GI Bill and sit and coast. What happens is you get really complacent. Mm -hmm. You get a little too settled, and then getting back into a workforce, it's a bad idea. You know, yes, school's hard. But you are capable of having a full-time job and going to school at the same time. I actually did it myself mm -hmm. years ago. And so if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I was actually a mother and a wife to a Navy SEAL. So I had all these things going on, running a company and all. And it is possible. It's just, you know, time management and balance of time and priorities. But for them, it's beneficial to have another job because once that money turns off in the GI Bill, there you are. You're not, you can't expect to get a job within five minutes, a real timeline, six to nine months to find a, a, a new job period. Mm -hmm. And so when that's the timeline and you're starting a whole new career, you have to be expected on an entry level and not on, a, you know, at an executive level where a lot of them think, Hey, I'm going to get out and make 150 grand. No, but I'll put you in a contracting position and you can make 150 grand, mm -hmm. you know? So that's the difference there. But I, I don't recommend if you just go straight into school that you don't have some sort of part-time work of some sort that because it's going to give you a cushion number one financial stability which is extremely important i always recommend a six-month savings period and and then that way you when you do stop school you're not your brain's not just solely focused on one focus which is school mm -hmm. you have that outside source of that civilian world that's kind of helping you balance the two for the, a better transition out Okay, no, yeah, I think I I worked at a bar my entire time. I ended up uh, the gym of a restaurant in Startville. And so I feel like in the end, that kind of helped. I've probably been to that bar. <laughs> Have you ever been to Two Brothers? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I was the gym for there for a couple of years. Nice. No, absolutely. If you're ever back in Startville, go by. Tell them I sent you. I will have to go down there soon. My car is actually in Meridian, so I'll, I'll stop <laughs> in and say Oh, that's good. Uh, I know we've actually... I haven't really got a chance to talk about this so much or too much uh, on the show so far. Like the stress, a lot of this puts on uh, the, the actual families of someone transitioning. It puts in a, a lot of stress. And, and one of the biggest problems with a spouse in the family is, number one, a family's not institutionalized. They just marry in and they get a card and they're a spouse and they're dependent and there they are. And nobody prepares them for what they're going to have to take on and the responsibilities that they have to take on and how to process, how to operate with their spouse and for their children. And so some are able to do it and figure it out. Some aren't. And that's a huge problem. So the transition puts an automatic fear because in the military, you get paid 
either, you know, lump sum once a month or twice a month. Mm -hmm. And you're used to that paycheck to paycheck. And the fear of it being turned off immediately is a very scary feeling. And when the family's not prepared or communicating in a healthy manner, it, it causes a huge problem for the person transitioning out of the military because the, they already have stress mm -hmm. and it adds a lot more stress. And so it, the family dynamics can usually a lot of times be broken. Uh, I've seen a lot of families crumble during a transition within the first two years because this, you know, the pressure that it puts and then the, maybe the person may have PTSD or TBI or what have you. And the spouse may not understand that and see it because there's no tools for that spouse to see the problem. Mm -hmm. All she sees is it's not working for her or him and you need to fix it and they don't know how to fix it. And so the, it's a huge situation that needs to be, everybody needs to be accountable for it. Everybody needs to have those discussions, go to those meetings with your spouse. If he's going to the VA, go with them. And that way you can start understanding what they may need. So you can actually positively help them formulate the plans and goals versus just telling them, go get a job, go get a job, go get a job because you're beating a dead horse they know they need to get a job, but they need to put a plan in place. And, and, and your job as a spouse is to help them get there, not to just tell them to go do it, help them figure it out. Mm -hmm. What would your advice be, Pat, once y'all start both thinking about transitioning from like the moment you actually realize, hey, look, my contract's about to end. You have that. Yeah, what I assume the discussion, hey, look, this is this might not be what I want to do anymore. Say you're about a year out. What kind of like advice would you give a family member, a spouse, like a transitioning shoulder to kind of plan ahead and make moves beforehand. Start cutting off financial things that are not necessary. Number one, quit buying the patio furniture, quit buying crap online. Quit. I see it all the time. I get it. But your finances is the most number one security, especially for a family in the military. Start really dealing with your budget, cutting back as much as you can. Number one, start educating yourself on where do you want to go next? Plan ahead, get a resume involved, figure out what you want to do and start supporting each other on a front where we're going to be a team and we're going to make sure that we get from point A to point Z together. And I'm not going to just tell you what you need to do, but I'm going to make sure it's a lifestyle. The transition is never an easy thing, but in a transition, that's the most important time to you know really focus on time management and leaning out your budgets and your finances at all costs. And I think the biggest issue happens is, is people just think I can keep spending the way I'm spending and living the way I'm living and everything's going to be okay. And you just need to, Hey, you, Hey guy, you got to just fix it. Well, no guy can't fix it. You need to make sure you're fixing how you spend. So everybody's got to really tighten up and nobody wants to go through a transit. Nobody likes change. Change is a scary thing. And so they don't like the change. So they just say, we'll just fix the financial part, but the financial part's not the problem. You got to reel it back in. And there, there's a big problem within the military mentality for spouses. And I'm sure I'll catch heavies for this, but I've, I lived it for many years. So, but it is what it is. Like quit going to the net, the NEX, like just stop going. You don't need every Martha Stewart product. It, you don't, you don't need to go to every candlelight party. Just stop because none of those things are actually important. What's really important is the foundation of your family in transitioning well. So again, the biggest thing is just finances, reel them in really quick. Get your savings account in order. If you don't have six months worth of bill money and spending money, then there's already your biggest problem. You're living paycheck to paycheck, and you're already setting yourself up for failure. And if you don't want to fail, then start saving money. And then make sure that you're educating yourself and planning, getting your resume in order, 
starting to look for jobs, be active. Don't wait until the last minute and assume you're just going to find something. Start figuring it out and start helping each other figure it out. Okay. To kind of transition a little bit, but stay on the general topic. Uh, one of the big things that I found that a lot of people deal with, one of the biggest things, isolation, the natural tendency to self-isolate. How would you suggest a spouse deal with that when, when the, the person that they're supposed to share the most with suddenly just starts to isolate themselves from everybody? That's, you know, that's a hard thing. And that, that can be a really individualized question because I see it a lot. And I think the best way to deal with it is to, you just have to kind of love them through it mm-hmm. and find outlets that would be beneficial to them and, and find people and that their community that you can kind of go do things with that would be like-minded for them and then kind of let them do it on their own. Because when they're in that state, you can't go tell them, hey, you need to go hang out with so-and-so because they're not going to go do it. So you kind of have to say, hey, I'd like to go to this event or this person's house for a barbecue. And, you know, it's kind of a backward hand situation where you're like, hey, I need you to I need you to hang out with my husband. Like, Mm -hmm. sorry, I need you to befriend him. But it it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do because they don't want to discuss it. And that's what they've been trained to do is to kind of, all right, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I can deal with this. And it becomes problematic. So you can't just shut down and and screaming is never going to do anything. And I think a lot of times it tends to result to that where they're like, just go figure it out, but they don't know how, and it's, it's okay. So I would just say being extremely supportive, but finding them outlets and and possibly just go on the little back route. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to, you'll have to do that and just don't tell them and then they'll (laughs) fuck the buddies, but finding Mm -hmm. them support groups and hobbies and I shouldn't say support groups because they would be like, no, but finding them a people in your community Mm -hmm. that are enough like-minded that they can, you know, vent and have a good time with Mm -hmm. is absolutely key. No, absolutely. You know, like I'll I'll give an example with uh, my ex-husband and he moved a long way away from everybody knew. And so when we had moved to Memphis and he had retired and we had, I, I had to do that, you know, because it, I had to find all the team guys in town, you know, (laughs) where you guys at? We're coming over for a barbecue, you know, but it is, it is, you have to, you have to give those things and help them in those ways. And, and it works, you know, but you know, maybe he'll kill me for saying that if he ever hears this, but sorry, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I know one of the big things that's kind of the stigma around like the whole mental health issue. I wasn't married at the time, so I, I don't know how I would have responded in that sense happen to kind of open up to my wife or anything like that. Do you know, was it difficult for you to bring them out or bring your your husband or ex-husband out of that? Um, so, well, that's a good thing. And I'll actually use a, a separate example of a friend of mine who was in the military and the special force community and got married afterwards. Mm-hmm. And once he got married, it became a little difficult because he didn't know how to express those things. He didn't know how to communicate those things. And it, it became a little problematic, but it was just basically he knew to continue to communicate with his friends and his people. And, 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 you know, it helped him along and helped him figure out, all right, I'm still transitioning. The transition process really does take more years than they imagine sometimes mm-hmm. and think they just think, Oh, I'm out. I'm excited, but it's not realistic. And so though problems occurred, you know, the wife never understood because she, she married him after the fact. Mm-hmm. So she could not relate whatsoever. And you just have to be able to say you have to tell her. You have to communicate those things. It may not sound, you know, normal or right, but if you don't talk about those things, 
it's going to be a problem. And so communication is a very large key in all of that. Mm-hmm. I imagine. Because I mean, do you add, do you talk to your wife about things? Obviously you've told mm-hmm. her things. Of, yeah. And so, but without that communication, they can't understand you. And mm-hmm. so what happens is they only know half of you or parts of you. And then your foundation is just going to crumble. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to kind of get, I guess, to get the courage up to be, I guess, mm-hmm. that kind of vulnerable. Yeah. And I can actually relate to that. You know, being married to an ABCO for 11 years and, and working within the soft community for so many years, I took on a lot of those traits because mm-hmm. whether people know it or not, spouses get PTSD too. And so when I started dating, I, I realized that I was like a team guy. <laughs> it was problematic. <laughs> I was the problem. And uh, I didn't know it. And so, because I could, you know, discuss it all day long, but that's what I did all day long. I mean, I talked to, you know, people all day long and that, dealing with their problems and helping them out because I understood it so well, but didn't realize I was operating that way in relationships. And, and I was only sharing half of me because I'd go home from work and I don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about my work because I'm dealing with, you know, sometimes people that I can't talk about. And so because of that, it created a big void and a big imbalance in my relationship. And I was dating this one guy and he finally just said, I feel like there's a wall. You only know half of me. I don't know what's going on in your world. And I realized that I was being very vague, but it's on purpose, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's the same way you guys operate. We're we're only going to tell you what you need to know. But what happens when you only do that, it's hard in a relationship. So you got to find a way to tell them things without breaching any sense of security in a sense. But it, it is possible, and, and I had to learn how to do that myself. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a, a process. I'm sure it takes a it while. It is a process because it's a trusting process, and you can't trust everybody with that information and, and be vulnerable. But the most you know important thing for any true relationship to be successful is if you can't trust them and be vulnerable with them, then you're actually never going to have a successful relationship. Mm-hmm. So you think this like a very important first step is this is actually come talk to them, hey, this is going on, this is what I've been going through, and hey, I might need help, or uh, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, and if they can't handle it, then that's on them, you know, and then, you know, then okay, well, you're incapable of processing this, well, then that person clearly needs <laughs> some communicational skills and, and life lessons and some books to, that we could give them to read, you yeah. know, so that ends up being the problem there, is this generation alone has problems, so mm-hmm. the lack of understanding can communicate. There's the biggest problem. People mm-hmm. don't get it. And nobody's educating themselves or being taught the right ways to communicate and the right ways to deal with problems and face problems. So you run into that. So it's finding somebody that's compatible for you that can understand those things and, and being okay with the fact that they may not understand it at first. Okay, they mm-hmm. don't understand it. Don't freak out. Don't. It's not the end of the world. Try to find a way to articulate and explain it to them. So they can move to understand your problems so that way they can be there for you. Because especially for a woman, that's their job is to be a helper. They want to help you, but unless they understand what you need, they can't help you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know we're getting down on time a little bit. So I'd like to kind of move toward a little bit what you're doing right now. But when you're talking about, I guess, one of the big things a lot of people have is like employment problems. Obviously, doing a resume is a a very important thing. What's the biggest mistake people generally do with a resume? They want to write it themselves. (laughs) They do not know how to explain to an HR director what they've done in the military. They Mm -hmm. want to hand them an eval and call it a day. (laughs) And two of the biggest problems they have is they're either going to over-dilute themselves or Mm -hmm. over-qualify themselves because they've given the resume to nine people or wrote a bunch of definitions, or they just want to write basically their DD-214 and be like, all right, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest problem is that that's that mentality of I can do this myself, but 
I'm not going to go do what they did for a living Mm -hmm. without training. So why should they go do what I do for a living without training? And that's the biggest problem is I can do this all all by myself. It's okay to not do things by yourself. You've Mm -hmm. operated with a team for this long, start operating with a team. When I deal with anybody from the military, I don't just take their stuff and write it and hand it back to them. They're a part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, a civilian a lot of times says, here's my stuff, but they operate differently. The way they hand me their stuff's differently. I get a DD-214, every qualification, every eval, every fitness, you know, every <laughs> thing, every do- I get like 85 documents sometimes, and I'm going, okay, no. I'm not reading through all these. I love you, but it ain't happening. You're going to have to work with me. So we're going to we're gonna make this out into an outline. We're going to work it out. And so I work with them. It becomes a team effort. They're, they're part of the process. And the biggest reason for being part of the process is I need them to understand. I need them to be able to speak the language of their resume. So when they walk into a, you know an interview, mm-hmm. they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that way they understand what they're talking about and how to translate their core competencies you know, successfully in an interview process, but without giving really terrible war stories which should always be <laughs> eliminated in an interview mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people really struggle with that sometimes well that's you know and depending on who i'm dealing with i'll have to sometimes tell them don't go in there and cuss or tell mm-hmm. that story please <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the big things i struggled with uh right when i get out had to change my language a little bit right because certain things are not quite as like socially acceptable cussing as much well cussing is actually that I don't I don't see that as a, actually as a big problem. I know mm-hmm. a lot of CEOs that cuss like sailors, and, mm-hmm. and there's no problem there. It's not necessarily the cussing. It's just it's understanding how to you know articulate what you've done mm-hmm. into the civilian world because you have to understand you know oh I was blowing up things now, but I was but I was working with a budget and I and I'm planning and strategically planning things. So there's a lot of admin things that they do out in the field mm-hmm. that they don't even realize that can actually translate into a civilian job. It's just you did it out in the middle of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You can still do it there. It's not going to be as fun, but you'll still be able to do it <laughs> and, and do it well. But they don't understand that those are the two, you know, kind of doing the same things. The government is nothing but a large business, whether anybody mm-hmm. wants to believe it or not. It's one of the it's the largest business, period. So understanding that they are able to do those things, they just do them remotely is the key. Mm-hmm. Do you think one of the reasons you don't want to them to write it themselves, do you think their perspective on what happened kind of throws things off like you're not writing it for the person who's going to be reading it correct they write for themselves they don't write for the reader and it depends on the individual i have some that want to i hand it to them and they hate it and they're like this is not right at all and they'll give me you know emails worth of definitions of what i should have written and i have to talk to them and i get it and it doesn't hurt my feelings i'm never offended i just have to explain to them listen this isn't for you there's two there's two items in the world that work, speak for you and you're not there. It's your resume and your life insurance policy, period. So if the, those are going to talk for you and you're not there, don't give somebody a definition. Don't mm-hmm. oversell yourself or overtell a story because we're not here to sell a biography. We're here to sell you for another job. You have to take the emotion out of the message. And a lot of times they want to put the emotion into the message. Or I've had a guy, you know, you know, one time say, hey. Jenna, will you give me a template? I said, you know, and I, and I know this kid well. And so I said, I don't, what do you need a template for? I need a resume. <laughs> I said, all right, just give me your stuff. Why do you need a template? Well, I want to learn how to do it so I can help everybody else. And I said, okay, well, you can't learn how to do it without help from somebody who knows what they're doing. So how are you going to do it on your own? You know, and it's that I'm going to do it on my own mentality mm-hmm. that will set you up for failure every single time. Stop, you know, doing that. You have to reach out to people. It's okay to ask for help. There's nothing wrong with help. They were all trained for so many years to not ask for help. 
thankfully the ones coming in now are kind of a little bit more set up to know that they're going to need help, but we mm-hmm. don't see those people coming out just yet. The ones that are coming out right now are still been told, you don't have PTSD, you don't have this, there's nothing wrong with you, because if there's something wrong with you, you can't deploy. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with me. Well, it's okay to say something's quote-unquote wrong. It doesn't make it wrong. It's just something happened, therefore there's a problem here, and let's fix it. You can't correct it assuming that you can do it all by yourself, because I can't correct anything all by myself. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Coming back, a lot of people really struggled with not like getting help, which is because the immediate fear you're going to lose your uh, security clearance, which is kind of like your lifeblood when you're in, depending on what kind of job you get. Mm-hmm. And you don't lose your clearance though, right off the gate. I mean, mm-hmm. I tell people try to try to set your numbers up well so you can you know you know reinstate it right before you get out. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in fear of losing it, you go find a contracting gig and a company that can float it. Like a friend of mine, Steve Brignoli, owns a company called Beyond Soft. And so a lot of guys, you know, I really turn, if they want to do contracting jobs, I, I turn them on to him because then we can get the, the clearance is already in set. And then once he gets you into the next position, you're already there and it'll float in a little longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are two other things besides, besides don't write it yourself you would suggest to kind of get people the most advantage they can get while creating a resume? The most, best advantage they would get? By yeah, like, okay, one of the big things I've always heard is people, they fr- the way they phrase things, they try to highlight things like that don't eval. matter. Yeah, Don't write it like an eval. You're speaking to a reader. You're not speaking to yourself. Mm-hmm. And don't let a bunch of people read it that don't know what they're talking about because then it's going to be even worse. <laughs> Find a professional. Check reviews. You know, there's a lot of free help out there. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. And so I won't recommend any of the sort. And it's not, it's just because I'm not going to, but you know, the reason I don't is because you need to find who works for you. There's people specialize in every different area. Some understand more parts of the military than the others. And some don't, you know, some have no idea what you know the army does, but they know lots about what the Navy does mm-hmm. or whatever, or special forces or whatever it is. And so find it, find somebody that can help you. Don't waste time googling for hours upon end because you're going to overload yourself and get all confused and then you've wasted a lot of time and a lot of research when you could have just picked up the phone or looked online found three reviews of really successful people that have you know been utilized for your field and your position in the military call them up and ask them there's so many people including myself that gives free advice all day long my phone rings off the wall and i give a lot of free advice all day Mm -hmm. long and it is what it is i mean i'm not going to deny them that when they just have a question you know, hey, what do I do with this? You know, hey, okay, well, this is what you need to do. Whether they take it or not, that's on them. But there's a lot of people out there that are just like me that are willing to help and give the advice to help them be successful. So when it comes to a resume, number one, you have to have one. So don't tell yourself that you don't. You have to. And sorry, Taps, you're 1992 outdated anyways, but it's not helping them. And so it's actually defeating them. And so they need to find a way to get a professional resume developed regardless of what they think or feel okay so would you suggest they uh utilize things like linkedin to uh, kind of network and do that linkedin's really important very very important make sure that you do it well make sure your photos done well i've even written an article on that but linkedin's a very very important thing and don't assume that you're just going to get a job by networking a lot of people give you the hype that you're going to get a job networking is the only thing that works. That's not true. You actually have zero idea where you're going to get your next job. The guy could walk in the door, want your resume. You could apply to 900 jobs. One of them finally calls you back. You could network and that right guy comes in. You need to be utilizing all platforms and not just one. 
But LinkedIn's really good for so many multiple levels because you've got networking, you've got branding, you've got job search, you've got so many different moving parts in one place that it's really beneficial. And, and honestly, I think it's the most beneficial out there. Okay. And so uh, we're about to wrap up, but I do, before we leave, want to say thank you so much for coming on board and for everything you're doing in our communities. I know there's a lot of people out there that are transitioning that really do need the help. And I, once again, I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. All right. And so for our last question, if you could tell someone who's struggling three things that you believe would, that would help them the most, what would it be? Get prepared. Deal with your finances. Deal with your home life. Be prepared for what's coming next. Don't wait around and shoot off at the hip and make sure that you are set up for success long before you leave the military. Start five years before, not five weeks before. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming aboard. Thank you, Adam. All right. Hope you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to One's Too Many. If you like what you've just heard or you think it would benefit someone you know, share this episode and pass on our web address, onestoomany.com, to someone you believe might need it. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes so we can continue to spread our message. Be sure to check out our website for previous podcasts and check us out on Facebook at One's Too Many and Instagram at One's Too Many underscore official. This has been Adam Salters. And remember, you matter. You've got this and you're not alone. Thank you.